Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Alright folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 153 today. We're going to be talking Dive Manual Part 2 with Anthony Tyler. And uh, you can check out his book. I have the link down below the video. Um, so head on over there, grab his book. Um, it's, a, it's a great deal. Um, and he put a lot of time into it. And uh, definitely check that out. And uh, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Uh, the t-shirts just came in. I don't know how many more extras we'll have to put up there, but we'll do our best. And um, also head on over to Indra's Web and uh, sign up. Go to indrasweb.org and sign up to get an alert when the app goes live. And I know I keep saying it, but it'll be soon. And uh, we were just waiting for a couple things to happen, which seem to be happening. So uh, we'll do an episode on it too when it, when it's about to go live. So go check that out, and welcome back, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's good to see you both. Glad to see you both healthy, still kicking. Yeah. Same to you, my man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't know how healthy. I think I have like a sinus infection or something right now, but that's nothing major. Just my, you know, my <laughs> sinuses hurt a little. It could yeah. be my allergies, too. It's that time of year, you know, but... No coronavirus for you. Though. Yeah, you always freak out. You know, you always wonder. <laughs> you know, you got to be careful. So, but yeah, I feel fine. I don't. You know, I don't have a fever or anything like that. So, um, but uh, so last time you were on, we talked about your book, Dive Manual, and your search for um, empirical evidence of mysticism and metaphysical things and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I, I told you I was going to finish reading your book. I did awesome book and uh look forward to something you know if you're going to do something in the future i don't know but uh oh yeah uh look forward to that and um but, but tonight i wanted to get into some of the weirder things so i know you i think you talked a little bit about your personal experiences with like metaphysical or mystical things you said you've had a couple weird ufo sightings where you didn't know what it was um when you looked into these topics more outside of your own experience or anecdotal experiences, what, what did you find that you thought that you could point to and be like, that's, that's it right there? Mm. Well, I mean, with the nature of, uh, of all these things, um, I feel like in some sense, it, I don't know, there's, there's more than one ways to skin a cat to be crass. Um, I don't know if there's anything in particular that, um, came across like that I you know like you know let's take an example for instance uh, with the UFO um, with the several sightings I had you know to to this day the only real takeaway I have I mean other than like the ontology and you know the metaphysics the stuff that we'll discuss and uh, the things we discussed in the last episode but like for me practically speaking um, 
I still don't fully know what that was. I mean, I know that I saw it and that it was a very real thing that was it was a full experience in my life where I was conscious and and interactive, but was it, you know, still like it kind of depends on what mood I'm in almost. Was it some sort of government which could be possible especially up in Alaska or was it a classical um ET, you know, UFO scenario or was it this kind of like you know, uh, running off of the, the things we talked about last episode, this kind of Keelian Jacques Vallée potential, like ultra terrestrial UFO type thing. Uh, it, it could be a, a combination of any of those. So I don't know if that answers your question uh, well or not. But I mean, I had some a variety of um, of like concrete takeaways, like things that like regardless of. um I don't know, you could squabble over the semantics of it, but certain things did happen, like um, the, uh, the I hate to use the, the word premonition because it, it just, it sounds so like fancy and pompous almost, but just the idea of dreams that give you glimpses into things that um, are essentially are the future, but, it, it, and many, many people, like the more I've uh, I've talked about my own experiences, it seems pretty common for people to uh kind of stumble onto those kinds of dreams but i don't know anyone that can do it on their own and i am highly skeptical to people who do say they can do it on their own but but those kinds of things happen and um you know i had some sleep paralysis encounters as a kid um i wouldn't even call them encounters like i was definitely afraid and nervous but i was also i was young enough to be sleeping in the same bed as my parents so I was since I was paralyzed instead of looking around the room to see what might may or may not be there I was just focused on waking them up but I know what it's like and you know I've um I've seen different things in the uh in the wilderness on um on uh, psychedelics so things that impacted me personally but I wouldn't like attribute to it's not on the same level as my UFO sightings or these dreams um but I I've also seen people um, react to psychedelics in some some really wild ways, ways that can't um, really be separated from um, some serious discussions of uh, of metaphysics and how that relates to psychology. You know, um, I um, I've accidentally I remember one time. You know, if I'm being candid, I uh, I accidentally hypnotized a friend um, on psychedelics and. I got him oh. into a trance state, yeah, and I didn't realize how to get him out. We were very young. We were like 19, and uh, and so it's just these kind of blunders that opened up doors to me because I wanted to figure out what I had transpired with my friend and how I, he had gotten into this. See, so I gotten into this state where by just uh, – well, I won't go into too much detail, but um, through just basic hypnosis that I didn't realize I was doing, he had just gotten to this state where – um, the environment was inseparable from what well, his internal experience. So very, uh, yeah, I mean, that's not hard to do, um, right. when you're already in a suggestible state, like in psychedelics, and then you maybe tell your friend, Hey, just calm down, relax. You know, you keep, you know, it's that, that kind of a thing where you can kind of induce it, you know, and I, I've, I've mm-hmm. been to hypnotherapy before, so I understand it's, it's you get in a relaxed state and then you come, you become suggestible to uh, outside things like that that make you even more relaxed or in tune with this other thing. Uh, you mentioned sleep paralysis, and I've had it a couple 
experiences. Um, but I, my, my question is, let's say the sleep paralysis thing is tied to the whole abduction thing, or um, let's say it is tied to some sort of real phenomenon happening that we're unaware of. Why do you think so many people see like these old hags or demons or some people see you know, uh, grays or aliens or that kind of insectoid, different types of things. Like, why do you think people see these weird, interesting things that you wouldn't normally see uh, in day-to-day consciousness or something along those lines? Well, yeah, I definitely have some thoughts on this. And you know, just, uh, I, I know you guys know me, but for any listeners, like, I, this is my best stab at such a such a vast topic. Um, I don't. I certainly don't claim to have all the answers, but um, I think that there's a lot of merit to be had in investigating these things. Similarly to how Jung and uh, his constituents his constituents um, analyzed uh, dreams and the archetypes and the uh, you know because a dream is so is so dense with uh with material um it has to do with uh it just as much it just as much uh the the symbolism has to do with uh context as it does with the actual symbols and um i think that th- these kind of phenomena can be like i said uh it at the very least investigated in similar ways that might not be where the trail ends but there's certainly that's certainly uh some of the breadcrumbs of the trail so to speak so why I think people are experiencing different things, uh, my best guess is honestly uh, what the data shows from from what I can see is um, the different pressures uh, that people, you know, because we're dealing with the projection process here. If we're boiling it down to psychology um, at the beginning of the of the stage, whether or not, you know, regardless of anything that's on the other side. Um, there definitely has to be some sort of engagement, some individual engagement, and uh, there's this projection process taking place that you could, if you want to um, continue down a metaphysical line of thought, you could say that something is piggybacking off of this. And I mean, scientifically, that's not uh, the you know the jury's not out on that, so that's that's a that's tenable speculation at the very least. But um, you know, so I think. And and this kind of harkens back to you know people talking about uh, UFOs throughout history, um, and not so much ancient history, but in the modern era, and how they kind of took on this flying saucer shape. And ultimately, you can see uh, when you look at the the time scale of it, you can see um, actually uh, the uh, people's perception of UFOs in like science fiction and movies kind of mimicked in uh, in UFO sightings. Oftentimes, you see that the the uh, the imagination comes before a lot of the sightings, and I don't think that that discounts all of these sightings. Sure, there are, there are hoaxers out there in these things, but I think that we are dealing with a malleable um, we're dealing with a malleable projection process here, and it's it it also has to do with, like I said, the you know different pressures and things. Someone who is going through a lot of um, of stress may be more, uh, I don't know, might have more of a propensity to, um, whatever your unconscious is trying to project at you is, uh, going to play a role in what you see. That's, that would be the Jungian, um, uh, I guess, overview of that, you know, Mm -hmm. so there could be more to it, but I think that that plays a very critical role for sure. 
kind of similar to uh, the whole Frank and Donnie Darko thing, honestly. Mm. Great yeah. film. You can kind of relate it to the whole even psychedelics and psycho, you know, the psychomimetics where mm-hmm. um, they're reflecting kind of what you're you're experiencing. So if you're interested in a certain topic or your mind wanders towards one thing, you might experience more of that one thing or some weird variation of it. Um, right. So I think that that might play into it as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I we're all creative uh, in our own weird ways too. So I do think that that probably play, plays into it somewhat. Um, mm-hmm. But um, going back to your personal experiences, um, I know, like you said, these are just your best guesses at all these different topics. And there are so many weird topics within this realm. Is there one that you feel like you have a better understanding of or grasp uh, on than others? Or is it kind of all equal because they're all equally weird or? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so this is kind of how the book is uh, presented as well. Um, and it's sort of the balance that I think the material in the book shows is that the my bread and butter is certainly esotericism um, and how that directly relates to psychology because those are things that uh, even though they branch out into inevitably into uncharted territory, there is a lot of concrete uh, groundwork laid that is really scientifically tenable, uh, historically tenable. There's a lot of actual data to work with that fosters this kind of, um, um, that fosters the the possibilities, I guess you could say, um, of stuff that's, you know, just still just out of our reach, but we might be able to get to soon. But uh, it, it, the only reason I say, you know, best guesses sometimes is because, you know, I've, I've, I've done uh, plenty of due diligence here, rest assured. But, I mean, with anyone, um, kind of like what you were saying, you know, th- these things are so weird that inevitably, even if there are pieces that uh, the data can shed light on, uh, there there are inevitably going to be questions unanswered. So I'm just, I'm like, I'm not a guy that claims to have all the answers because those people are, are liars. Hmm, right. <laughs> Well, no, it, I, I think there's two people. Yeah, there there are liars in that group, but then there's also people that believe they do have some sort of ultimate or um, truth that they can hang their hat on in that moment. But that that is what it's going. You know, that it is in just that moment, and we know through science and philosophy, things evolve, ideas evolve, consciousness evolves. So to to put all your eggs in that one basket is or die on one hill. I mean, at this point we know enough to know that there's nothing that you can grasp onto like that. That's going to last forever. So you got to keep it moving, you know, keep the, keep evolving, keep, you know, um, evolving your ideas and your theories and your hypotheses. So I, I think that, uh, you can have like, I think like a stream or a path that you go down when you do it or have an idea of where you want to stay but I do think that at some point you have to come to terms with the fact that um, there is no one objective truth per se in terms of uh, a lot of these subjects. Yeah, and this really gets to um, one of, or like a piece of the backbone of, uh, of a lot of my material, something that I haven't been able to talk about as much as other things, just because there's only so much you can present in one conversation at once. Um, but uh, chaos magic and chaos theory, you know, how chaos theory relates to 
plays roles in not only psychology, but um, by proxy uh, metaphysics as well. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of great material in the umbrella of like chaos magic. But I don't I don't consider myself a chaos magician or anything like that. And so I don't use the term chaos magic all that much because. I mean, most people don't really even know what you're talking about anyway. So a very quick definition for anybody that doesn't know, it's uh, it's you know, some people think of it as like black magic, but it's not that at all. It's uh, it's chaos theory applied to um, metaphysics, essentially. And it's uh, you a lot of people call it results based magic. And, um, you know, in turn, it, this kind of gets into the heuristic uh, perspective of uh the, the psychological perspective that uh, that religion and metaphysics beliefs in general are uh, adaptation mechanisms um, beyond the what might beyond the uh, the potential physical implications as well you know because there it's not just all in the head but um, we 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 grab onto these things and um, so but people have uh, clearly I mean comparative religion is a thing and um, I've never been one to just say that one thing is right in particular. Um, you can, but you can't just say you can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater and become a nihilist and say that there's no truth in anything either. Mm -hmm. So, um, someone put it to me like this once, and I think that there's a lot of weight uh, to be uh, there's a lot of weight to this uh, mindset, and it's a mindset reflected in a lot of uh, philosophy and esotericism as a whole. But the idea that um, your relation, your point on the globe, um, actually is going to have significant, um, determining factors in what type of metaphysical needs and output you have. So to take extremes as example, someone in the Arctic circle is going to like evolutionarily speaking, require a slightly different belief system than somebody in South America. Um, uh, and, and the lines are blurred a little bit now more than ever with the internet. And so we have uh, a, a bit of a renaissance of this comparative religious standpoint. And you have more and more people looking into archetypes and the commonalities of these things. But when you think of this from, especially an ancient perspective, you see that the, uh, we can get some, uh, some pretty wide deviations that are still stemming from some basic core biological concepts. Um, so I think that that's a big thing to take into account, uh, similar to the way that I think um, people can see different things during a sleep paralysis experience. I think that uh, the same can be said in a way about um, metaphysics and our belief systems in general, ultimately. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to kind of, you, you mentioned the internet and more people having more access to more people's thoughts now. And um you know, there's a big thing going on now where you, I've tried to explain this to a few different people. I don't know if they know enough about philosophy or ancient Greece or history to kind of grasp it. But um, there's, you know, a form of rhetoric called heuristic. OK, and the sophists back in ancient Greece used to employ it. And a sophist, if you haven't watched our ancient Greece series, is somebody that would be like teach some. Um, politician's kid or some wealthy person's kid and, and gain some sort of monetary or trade value for teaching or, you know, so what they would do though um, is they would teach 
for, just for monetary value. They weren't trying to teach truth. So Plato saw this as a threat um, to truth in general. Um, and I think today when you see the, you look at what's going on on the internet, you see a lot of people just arguing and there's a lot of Dunning Kruger effect. There's a lot of, um, all sorts of crazy psychological things that are just at play at all times that it's hard to weed through who actually knows what they're talking about and why, because somebody might have a little check mark and what they're saying is complete nonsense. So um, this heuristic rhetoric thing, I think a lot more people should look back because like Plato nailed it on the head, uh, you know, what was it over 2000 years ago? So I, I don't know. I, I, I'm at a loss for words. And, and if you're interested in that whole thing, people, you can go read Plato's Euthydemus um, where Socrates gets in kind of a little, uh, you know, war of words with, uh, Euthydemus, I think his brother's Diana, uh, Diana Sidoris, I believe is his brother's name. So check that out. But it's just kind of, if you read it, you'll understand like, this is what's going on now. People are just fighting to win arguments or, you know, teachers are teaching to help people just win arguments or make money. They're not doing it to help that person find ultimate truth. So, right. Yeah. Great points. Yeah. We, uh, the, the internet today is, um, I mean, it, it, it certainly is a black mirror. There's there's no question about these things. Um, I uh, granted this is a bit of a you know this is intended to be metaphorical, but I think that there's some you know metaphorical truth to this. How these things are pretty similar in my eyes to Ouija boards at this point, where you don't fully know what's on the other side. You're typing in these uh, um, you're typing these letters in, and you're having things communicate with you. It uh, um, uh, especially w with the anonymity on the internet. Um, mm -hmm. Granted, these things are not spiritual entities. There, there are definitely people on the other side. It's just, it's very strange trying to think of it from like a, um, trying to think of it from the perspective of a person that doesn't know what the internet is. Um, but it, uh, what it certainly is in a literal level is this massive, um, like house of like circus house of mirrors, you know, if it for everyone's projection process and everyone is just getting lost in their own projection process, you know, there's a, there's a lot to be said because obviously, and I, I'm not uh, going to be getting political here, but the internet is so mm, rampant. You with better politics. not bro. You know, I won't. Oh, oh, oh. it's interesting <laughs> to see people um, get so um, involved with politics on the internet because, um, that is really a quintessential projection process because it's good to be in, uh, uh, involved in activism in one form or another. It's good to play a part in uh, cultural change. But um, also a lot of people are projecting, um, and, and this isn't just with politics. This is just an example for the whole Internet. People are projecting a lot of their, uh, their own personal discontent into situations and topics that um, – ultimately may not have much to do with their discontent at all. And so it's creating this real wild echo chamber. And I think it would, uh, it would do people a lot of good to find some sort of, um, control methods for their projection process, you could say. And this is something that I've, uh, I've talked about a little bit elsewhere, but it's important to bring up here, uh, especially since I didn't mention on the last episode, um, I'm like 99% sure. And, um, uh, it's the 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 whole phantom limb concept and the rehabilitation. V.S. Ramachandran, the uh, the neuroscientist, he uh, long story short did rehabilitation of people's phantom limbs with 
this uh, strange, uh, but or, or rudimentary, not not so much strange, but um, a very effective mirror box therapy where he reflected, uh, he put the reflection of someone's intact arm. This is you had to do it with arms because the the angles are limited. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he reflected someone's intact arm into the spot where their uh, their limb would be missing. And as they moved their arm, they saw the reflection move, and it creates this whole uh, neurological cascade effect where they actually feel the uh, the anomalous um, phantom limb moving with the with the reflection. So that's a it's a it's a pretty easy trick of the brain, and they went through stu- uh, the necessary steps to determine that this doesn't work uh, with every single person. But it works with the vast majority of people, and they did get some pretty exceptional therapeutic results. Um, so, um, do you look to that though, and, and you can point to that and be like, "This is your senses lie in a sense." So, like Parmenides back in ancient Greece, you know, said, "Your senses lie. You, how can you trust your senses?" Um, and in a certain way, that's true to you know, like. If you, have you ever been to Disney World or Disneyland and been on, you know, one of those like Soarin', which is a ride where it like messes with your senses, you think you're flying through the air at 10,000 feet over the pyramids, but you're really, you know, 10 feet off the ground in some weird cart thing that's spraying yeah. lavender scents and you think you're flying, you know, so, so my point is, is, um, how do we know that that's not happening on some larger level that we're not aware of to a certain extent, I guess is my point. Well, uh, I guess uh, depending on, I mean, that is happening on some level. It just depends on how far you can and or want to take that um, that concept, uh, how far that trail of breadcrumbs will lead. But we, We've evolved, right? So we have evolved our senses to help us navigate the world the best that we're aware of. But again, if we're talking about science and ultimate truths and objective truths and I mean, we're only as good as what we've evolved so far, so I don't know how anybody can, like, back to our point before, pretend like they have all the answers or they have discovered all these truths that will hold up forever or whatever. Right, and it's a bit too concrete, I would say. Um, I know this wasn't the point you were making, but um, uh, because you did bring it up, it's a bit uh, too concrete to say that the senses lie. Um, They don't exactly lie, but what you can for sure say and should be conscious of is that they they're they can be easily tricked mm, no yeah, question that's what i probably should have said but yeah that was my point oh right on right on no no, no uh, you, you were right to point that out because I, I i didn't mean like what we're seeing is not real at all and this is all anything like that i just meant that i guess we can be manipulated and tricked and for the most part that's what actual magicians do they they tap into your blind spots of your thinking and the way your right. brain works and stuff like that Absolutely, absolutely. You're um, from California, right? From Alaska. Born in Georgia, raised in Alaska, currently living in California. Mm. <laughs> Did you see? Uh, have all your uh, UFO encounters been in California? or? No, in Alaska. Oh, okay, okay. That makes some sense then. Yeah. yeah there's nothing stuff. out there. It's the really... wild blue yonder. I mean, how active is the night sky in terms of uh, their, like, uh, planes and that kind of or is it pretty nominal mm, i mean they do have their uh, we have the 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 airport um the international airport so i mean things are flying in 
But uh, with these, but they ain't flying out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was particularly uh, wild about my UFO encounters, though, is you know I so there were a handful of sightings. A lot were high up, and some of them were things that were just strangely indisputable, like seeing a thing fly faster than a shooting star and then taking a 90-degree uh, angle turn uh, just right in front of my eyes. We're way high up there. All I could see was the orb. Um, but and, and then other times where um, I watched things for a while, and these are in the gray area for me, um, where they sure didn't look like planes, but you know who knows? I just didn't get a really good enough look. But there were two times especially where they were extremely close to the ground and it was just it was so definitely not an airplane like it was flying the, the first one was right above the rooftops and then the the second one was um right above the treetops in the same general area like given like um, i don't know like 10 10 miles or so so but we're talking about the same like one town and then the town over essentially mm. so so these things were flying real low and they were triangles with the top nipped off and um the the they were they were both silent uh the first time i was by myself the second time i was with somebody and um the uh the the second time was particularly odd because it was we were in a neighborhood but in alaska even the neighborhoods are heavily wooded uh, unless you're in anchorage so and it was at night and uh we were, so we we're just driving like the back roads of a wooded neighborhood and we see this thing blinking so brightly that it's within the small radius around it making everything look like daylight it was mm. one of the strangest things i'd ever seen um and illuminating the craft very easily so we could see it was this kind of like bulbous thing but it had um angles to it mm. uh, because the first time i saw it it was a belly shot um that was that was encroaching over the horizon coming towards me and uh, this time we got a side view, and it would just it would light up, uh, and then and then shut off again, and it did that in like three second intervals or something. It would just blink on and then go off real quick and stay again, dark again for another three seconds or so. And we couldn't follow it because it was going into dense forest. So, mm. but I mean, yeah, uh, I think I mentioned before too. They did an episode on uh, unidentified on History Channel where. It was about the black triangle UFOs that people see and how most people that see them, they see them low hovering over the ground and they've come to the conclusion that maybe it's some sort of craft that's surveying land or taking taking in data, you know, scanning um, the topography or whatever the case may be. So, Right, right. I, mean, yeah, I don't definitely. know if there's anything to that, but it seemed like based on what you described, that might be the case. That Well, I mean... I have no idea what it is in the long run. But well, yeah, I mean, there's there's drones. I mean, I think you would know if it was a drone. I don't know. Oh, it was huge. Yeah, yeah. it was definitely uh, big enough for at least a couple people or so, I'd say. Mm. Uh, but n not like, you know, like Mothership huge or anything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, strange stuff. Um, I mean, that is, see, you're in such a remote area, too. You wonder, and then you're you're close to other things. You're close to Russia. You're close, you know, so, I mean, who, who really knows what the hell is going on? Oh, and now yeah. I'm sure you've been watching the news with, 
you know, we were talking about the life on possible life on Venus via phosphine and all that stuff and uh, how Russia came out and claimed Venus basically and how our people came out and said, you know, China and Russia are trying to weaponize space and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, it's getting pretty wild. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I, I always, I don't know what to make of it in the long run, but I always go back to when considering the UFO phenomena, um, especially with my own sightings, uh, this, this orb thing, uh, because, I don't, you know, it seems so. It seems so physical seeing it with my own eyes, but you know, I guess if I'm being objective, as objective as I can be, if any of these things um, have to do with the projection process, and they probably all feel physical in one mm. in one way or another, or, or appear physical, because uh, there's definitely there's this, this trickery of the senses that we're talking about. So I certainly can't rule out that the, uh, something more uh metaphysical than than government was happening here potentially um not that it was like and see this is kind of the like a gray area of of metaphysics where i'm not i don't think these things are angelic or demonic i think that there's just you know there there's a cosmic scale of weirdness here well that's just those are the tabs and terms we've put on it right so i mean let's say it is something non-terrestrial or not of this dimension or let's say it's something outside of human control then again those are just things that we've put on it they could be like us where yeah there's amazing mother Teresa's, and then you have like serial killers on the other end you know so it's just this weird spectrum of being absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah and um yeah the orb is a thing that seems particularly metaphysical to me because we see orb phenomena you know in in the more overt paranormal stuff like will o the wisps and um and and uh throughout folklore and these things um and i know that there's a there's a common native american belief that these orbs of light were um were like data packages that Mm. uh that mystics were sending between each other and these kinds of things so that's a cool interesting thought but um um it seems that a lot of UFO sightings, uh, I, I sure wish I could find a number on it, but that, that would be a pretty obscure statistic. But so many of them uh, start with this orb and then uh, someone, you know, you just be kind of, uh, I touched on this a little bit in uh, the last uh, conversation we had where you seem to become transfixed on this orb. And I think that that might very well may play a role in some sort of hypnotic process that is that's kind of coaxing a projection process out of us Mm. Um, who knows who knows yeah i mean that's definitely an interesting thought and we've talked about it maurice and i have never had i've had like a tiny orb scenario inside of a house it was kind of a really weird thing you can go back i forget what episode i'll try and put a link it uh below the video on what episode we talked about It's, it's a kind of a long story um, but I've never seen anything like outside or at nighttime or anything like that. I'm pretty sure Maurice hasn't either. So I saw a crazy shooting star on my way back from uh, Colorado this year. And that was the nuttiest thing I've seen. So <laughs> nice. it was, I mean, it was, it was more than a shooting star. It was blatantly, could I have been a meteorite. I mean, that's true. what that I was... is. I mean, but it could have been like a close one. Yeah, it was closer than the normal because we're always up north during meteor showers and right. we've seen hundreds of them. But this thing was 
It cut through the air like a hot knife. <laughs> and, then, and then we were searching the horizon, seeing if something exploded on the ground because I wanted to go pick that rock up. And You wanted to make a King Tut dagger out of that thing. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Get yeah, you oh, some yeah. tech tight. Yeah. Talk about Mike and Maurice uh, Merch. memorabilia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to send Maurice across the world just to collect uh, <laughs> meteorites and start making gonna... some jewelry and some daggers. I chisel a piece off the pyramid and bring it back for some high-end <laughs> Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Set up a booth at the state fair. Uh, might be the next move here. <laughs> um, but so, okay, so back to the, oh, by the way, if anybody's listening and interested, I know that there's a do- uh, documentary on UFOs that comes out tomorrow. It's supposed to be one of the better ones ever made. It's called The Phenomenon. Um, excited to check that out. I think it's going to be available via Apple TV, Amazon Prime, and I think Vudu or one of those weird ones. Uh, so check that out. And um, tomorrow, actually, we have Brian uh, Murrescu on, who was recently on Joe Rogan with Graham Hancock, and we're going to be talking about his new book, The Immortality Key, which is going to be all about the Eleusinian Mysteries and spiking wine in ancient Greece with psychedelics and all that kind of awesome stuff so yeah yeah it should be an interesting one but uh, all right so i do want to talk a little bit about that too um you've done psychedelics you've talked about it um do you it's hard for me to to uh i guess verbalize how i think about this but i'll just say that through my own experiences um, I've never had one of these weird physical UFO sightings, um, and I've never had anything weird happen in like day-to-day consciousness per se. Um, so when I read this book like Immortality Key or a book like yours or whatever, I kind of correlate these the gods and this mysticism and these entities and this metaphysical, all this crazy stuff to psychedelics because I have experienced those things in that realm. So I'm not saying that that's the only way to, you know, interact with that. But, I mean, what's your take on it? Because I know your book deals with mysticism in all these different contexts. So, Yeah, and um, psychedelics play an inevitably crucial role in the discussion of all of this uh, for two major reasons, among others. Uh, first being it's such a... Uh, a crucial piece to the historical puzzle, um, as is evident. And, uh, also it's, um, I mean, as people like, uh, like Joe Rogan himself commonly says, it's something that, you know, you can try for yourself. Um, yeah. you know, you don't have to take anybody's word for it. And mm-hmm. that's, that's very valuable. There's a lot of merit to that. Um, uh, you know, so that in and of itself is where I, um, while I, I do find People like Jan Irvin, for instance, very anti-psychedelics. I find his work to be interesting, um, and I think he raises some great points as to some of the pitfalls of psychedelics and some of the uh, propaganda utilized by, by by people almost weaponizing, for lack of more nuanced term, weaponizing psychedelics. Um, but, um, I mean, it, weaponizing in literal ways, especially with the CIA and uh, MKUltra and these things. But... Um, inevitably psychedelics does have a a crucial uh place in history you know close to the heart of the the human experience um 
however much weight you want to put into the whole stoned ape theory, I think that inevitably that was a factor as well, where humans were probably, you know, eating psychedelic mushrooms and other things, and and that probably did play a role in the adaptation process. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if that played um, was a crucial catalyst in stimulating this kind of like this chaos theory snowball effect of um, of evolution that that developed this evolutionary storehouse uh, that we call the imagination to this day. Mm. So like I said, especially from a historical perspective, I think that psychedelics are very important. And and these days you can't argue the um, therapeutic benefit of mm. it. Uh, but uh, I mean, it's it's completely inarguable. There's uh, there's, you know, you guys uh, do a great job of, uh, of talking about a lot of those things. But um, it's just important to also uh, consider that, I mean, like any tool, it can be double-edged, you know. Um, <laughs> since, uh, since, since we just uh, we brought up Joe Rogan a couple times, I know he has something he says that popped into my head where, you know, you could either use a hammer to build a house or hate yourself in the crotch with it. So, yeah, that's uh, so <laughs> some, some Vedanta stuff, too. We had our buddy Chris on who uh, he was on a lot of some of our earlier episodes, and he studies Vedanta and the Vedas and all that stuff. And, um, you know, he's talking about that same concept where things aren't inherently good or evil. You could use a car to take somebody to the hospital or you could, right. you know, hurt somebody with it by accident or whatever the case may be, or, you know, it's just, a, it's just a, a thing or a tool or whatever you want to call it. So it's just, um, and the same can be said for psychedelics. So it's like, you know, somebody could say, Oh, that made me have a bad trip. Well, you decided to take the compound, you know, like there's a personal responsibility thing there in all regards, whether it's a car or a psychedelic or whatever, it's not, it's how you play off of the thing. It's not how the thing is itself if that makes sense yeah yeah and it really you know it just depends on your intentions and um how much you are willing to slash capable of getting out of it because even the bad trips can be some of the most beneficial uh because they could tell you so much about yourself and um i honestly i i i've always had like pieces you know i've had trip uh, parts of psychedelic experiences that that went a little south for a second but i never spiraled full down into the classical bad trip but i certainly saw good friends do it and you know those good friends to this day uh, are are very thankful for having those experiences uh, because well, of the isn't it bad though because i mean like other than some rare rare case of it inducing something that may have a happened anyways or something like that some sort of psychosis on a rare rare occasion other than that isn't just a bad trip just you being forced to deal with your own demons and issues and things you haven't really right. taken time to work out i mean that that's the way i think about it so it's usually somebody that's narcissistic or has a huge ego that it brings you down a notch and you realize oh this is all just a facade that this this big thing that I'm building up and, and when it gets taken down a notch, they lose their way a little bit. So I think that that's part of it, but I do want to touch on one thing you said about like the stoned ape theory, mm -hmm. whether it had, you know, you can read Terrence McKenna, um, food of the gods and it'll describe his whole theory behind that. But whether, and Paul Stamets talks a lot about it too, but if you, whether you want to believe that that's true or not, I think that there is something true about maybe psychedelics playing a role in 
uh, once we became self-aware, if psychedelics had nothing to do with it, that then it definitely had an effect on ethics and morals. Because when you take these substances, whether it, it, it holds for a long time after, that's up to you. That's up to the work you're doing. That's up to your introspection. But it, after a trip, people usually have some sort of feeling like I need to get my shit together or I've been a, a shitty person to these people. I want to make that right. Or, you know, there's that morality feeling that you don't necessarily get from anything. I've never, I mean, I grew up Roman Catholic, went to church for the early part of my life, went to Catholic schools till I got to middle school. Um, and I never left church thinking, I want to be a better person. You know, I, it never occurred to me like that. I just, something yeah. I, I guess tried to be, but then when I've tried psychedelics, I'm like, that brought that out in me. Like, tenfold mm -hmm. yeah yeah um and you know from my personal experience i have uh i have no problem being very open with the fact that i would be um a pretty radically different person without um my psychedelic experiences now there are non-psychedelic experiences that i could say the same thing about but um i really found my psychedelic experiences to be um, very humbling and inspiring, um, but I've, I and and that seems to be the case with uh, with the people that because um, I kind of had this is something that uh, it gets brought up in the book a little bit. At one point, kind of had um, a core group of friends that were equally serious in certain exploration of the mind, um, you know, in like some very Jungian kind of ways. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, we. Well, uh, you know, they benefit from it a lot as well. But I've seen so many people just do the opposite, where they just seem to uh, be really, I don't know, this, you know, it's not a, it's not a limitless pill. You can't just be taken. Well, that was my it. point. It, if it's, <laughs> if it's sticking, you have to realize it when it's happening. I guess that, and that's what's the difficult thing. It's, it can be um, back to Graham Hancock in that interview they just did the other day. You, it's hard work sometimes, and if you're just in it to do a, as a party drug or to, you know, just kind of zone out or whatever, it's not going to really do anything positive for you. But if you treat it with the reverence that it deserves, on top of understanding and having introspective thought, I think that it can be helpful. But maybe that's where, maybe that's part of the secret, though, right? I mean, maybe people like us who have research these things or whatever are different than some of the people that we see on these chat forums and groups and stuff that talk shit to each other still, even though they've had hundreds of psychedelic experiences. It's like, what are you doing? When I see that kind of stuff, it angers me because it's like, yeah. this is what this is being used for and you know better or you should know better. So Absolutely. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I don't hear this brought up a whole lot, but I think it's a, a, a pretty reasonable point to make that um, there is a pretty common theme of – so you say like um, it's good to distinguish the fact that you know you could use this as – psychedelics as like a rave drug or you could use it for some – you know, some actual like spiritual catharsis or discipline. And uh, mm -hmm. um, some people I've noticed uh, tend to take this kind of uh, middle area where mm. they just want to use a psychedelic to, to like chill out, which is not inherently a bad thing. So I'm not, um, I'm not jumping We're all the about, uh, you know, um, personal, you know, if you can skydive, you should be able to do whatever you want. In my opinion. Now I'm just, I'm just telling you what I think works best, but yeah, you're right. 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 
but it, there is something to be said for that being a uh, a bit of a tightrope to just to just chill because I, I I've, I've thought about this and I've heard this elsewhere. Um, it, you know, pillow sitting doesn't exactly get anything done, and sometimes we can we can um, actually be tuning our minds to a way that gives uh, that has too much of a propensity to just sit around. And I think that a lot of people. I, I, I see if used improperly, psychedelics can actually make people kind of like spacey mm-hmm. instead of instead of sharper and more critical. Um, because I think that people want to unwind and kind of uh, like detune their minds a little bit on a psychedelic um, in a meditation process, almost gone awry. Because especially when you start to abuse it and do it consistently, you're just kind of tuning yourself to tune out. I guess if that makes sense. I, and I do yeah, see people. You no, know, you're right. You're right. I mean, what, what do you think that is? Cause like I've done a lot of psilocybin. I've mentioned it before. I don't know. It's over 150. I don't know what it's at at this point. It's somewhere a little bit above that, but, um, and I've done, tried most of the psychedelics. So when I see people that have only done it like way less times or something, and you're right, they seem like spaced out like what's going on there where it's like i don't know i mean better there there yeah i mean that that could be the case but like there's so many people that like you know get these i don't know it just changes who they are to a point where it's like they aren't sharper they aren't more introspective it's made them you know, weirder or something. Well, I, don't even... I think that might be the abuse we're talking, you know? Right, right. If you, if you have the right intentions and you go about it in a way that is, um, um, respectful to, uh, like yourself and the substance that you're using, then it could be really beneficial and it can, uh, can be really insightful. It's just, you know, there's no training wheels on these things. People have to remember that there are no training wheels, and you are swimming with the sharks mm. when you take psychedelics. So just know where the sharks are. Um, I guess if you want to draw that metaphor out, um, uh, because I mean, if you, you know, there's, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not saying people what. I said time to get crunchy. I was just kidding, but yeah, I mean, I had my. Uh, I, I took barely over a micro dose and things got a little, my anxiety ramped up and it was just like, you better not be taking this to, to party. You, you take this stuff to learn something about yourself and I'll never look at it the same way again. Oh, so. Maurice's connections acting up here. Hold on one second. Just recalibrating this here. Maurice. I don't know if you're plugged into some other sort of Wi-Fi, but your your connection just went haywire here, threw everything off. Um, sorry, folks, a little technical difficulty. Um, but why don't you talk about for a second how, um, when you wrote your book, did you? did you come out of it like thinking differently about these things in terms of taking some of the magic out of them? Or was it something that even furthered your uh, expectations of these, these subjects? Um, no, it's, it's definitely something that it, 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 there were, there was a lot of concrete takeaways from the research of the book, but with those answers came more questions and 
that just really kind of solidified my my love for the chase you know because i mean we're not going to have all the answers and i don't i don't mind that i really enjoy um you know the, the the thrill of the hunt so to speak and uh um i uh it definitely made me a bit more of a of a spiritual person um you know I've, i'd always been philosophical and um interested in unexplainable phenomena and these things but um I don't know. I I guess the ultimate takeaway is uh, something that we've touched on a little bit, which is that people need to believe in something. And um, a lot of people look at that as like a like an opium of the masses type thing. And yeah, that is that's one side of it. But I mean, nihilism is the thinking man's temper tantrum. And that's you're a nihilist if you think that. all spiritual tradition and comparative religion is just an opium of the masses. Um, it's, it's certainly not about that. Um, when not at its root and, um, people, you know, there is, there's not like, there's no easy, there's no one question that can give you the big picture. Like you can't ask what's the meaning of life because that's just, you're not asking the right question. Mm. Right? There, there, there is no s- standard algorithm. You can't just plug in some numbers and you get the answer. Like, oh, this is the meaning of life. The meaning of life is that it's a blank canvas, and you should use you should use it. You know, <laughs> don't waste yeah. the material. Um, and people look at that uh, so often today, uh, and and just consider that just gives people. Um, it seems to make people nihilistic. And, um, I think that, like I said, it's the thinking man's temper tantrum because that's a really limited, um, like throwaway, uh, standpoint to have on these belief systems because they serve roles. They might not be as literal as some people would like these belief systems to believe, but they certainly play functional roles and are probably a lot more, uh, there's probably a lot more truth to them there is without question a lot more truth to them than the average nihilist would like to give credit to. So that overall, that's probably the biggest takeaway is that these things, the, this unexplainable realm of esotericism and metaphysics, you're not going to get any million dollar answers. But, um, what you can say is that these things have withstood the test of time for a reason Mm. and very strong reasons. And it has to do with our individual experiences, despite it being collective phenomena. Like what you're saying, my friend. Yeah, I, I, I question, though, because um, when you look at, like, atheism and, like, new atheism and all this, like, science, purely spi- science and, you know, base stuff and material monism and all this um, stuff that you see right now is, like, the prevailing wisdom right now of the world. Um I I think you you look out in the world and I don't like what I'm seeing right now. I'm just going to be honest. So um, I don't think, I don't think it works. And I think back to Socrates, Socrates was right. When you don't have some higher calling or higher purpose, it's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous game you're playing because you can convince yourself by just, um, 
you know, whether it's just being more empathetic or whatever, that that's going to change the world. And I don't think that moves the wheels like people think it does. And I think that um, it's in its innovation and um, all these other things that kind of play and then everything kind of falls into place from there. Um, so I don't think that nerfing the world, even though that would be a great thing for, you know, everybody to be comfortable and happy and everything. I don't think that that's realistic. If you look at the history of the world and even where it's potentially going via all these different avenues. So, um, I think it's a dangerous game when you don't have some higher purpose or higher calling. You don't have to believe in like a Zeus guy in the sky, but, um, there's gotta be something. Yeah, when you believe there's nothing, then you're really hurting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For yeah, sure. And, th- and that's, that's not just, uh, um, some people would like to say that that's, that's just a, a dogmatic perspective, but it's not. I mean, at the very least, at the very least, um, the, the data shows us that, um, hierarchy is necessary in human consciousness uh we're not even talking about this uh, sociological hierarchy but i'm talking uh, the the uh the hierarchy of an individual mind you have to have some sort of classification and 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 subsets and ways of interpreting um your sensory input and if you don't ultimately have some sort of ideals in mind then the whole you know it's a house of cards that falls apart mm. really yeah and right now everything's falling apart, but it uh, is, yeah. Uh, but hopefully we can change that, and that's why we try and stay out of all that, you know, the politics and the social stuff. It's because it's everywhere. So I feel like if people want that from a show or a podcast, there's every other one pretty much does that. I don't. I want people to learn something new, think about something they don't think about normally, get out of the consciousness. I want our show to kind of be like a psychedelic in the sense that we're going to be talking about weird things that you haven't thought about possibly even ever. So, um, and I think that, uh, that's what you've done with your book. And I think that that's why I like this community in general, because I think everybody is kind to each other, wants to help further each other's uh, explorations of these topics, whether it's the mind or universe or whatever so um i think we're i'm definitely grateful for you know people like you and people that are listeners mind escapees and other podcasters and you know shout out to some of the you know the alchemical mind with uh, martin freddy shout out to snake brothers shout out to uh you know where did the road go with soraya you know shout out to pretty much all these awesome people out there doing what they're doing and uh i think everybody keeps grinding away we might be able to build this house of cards back up i think so yeah hope is certainly not lost uh but it's a really tumultuous time to say the least and it's uh it's not going to be an easy fix but um uh you know people ask me sometimes why i don't talk about politics more and it's the exact same reason that you just said it's i mean there's 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 enough there's plenty of people (laughs) talking about it like i'm not the guy for that um anyway exactly yeah, well, we I mean, aren't. We ain't the guys. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I'm not a hypocrite either. It's not gonna be. I'm not gonna be caught in the whole Dunning Kruger thing either, where I'm gonna think I'm better at talking about something or knowing about something where um, I don't. You know, I don't. I don't study that stuff. I don't research that stuff. So I, I, I ultimately don't feel like um, it's my place to uh, interject in in that realm and. 
again, there's so many different perspectives. Even if I gave a perspective, somebody's probably already given it, you know, so there, there's that. So I, I just, I just don't like the divisiveness or the nature of it. Um, which is odd because you have people on both sides claiming the same thing and it's like, well, how could that be? But, um, I don't know. I just, uh, I wish we could get back to these great questions. You know, if you, we were in, I, I, I'm looking back and I, I thought I used to think ancient Egypt was my, 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 uh, if I had like a past life, that's where I'm starting to think ancient Greece. I don't know why just the, the thinking and the mindset and the, I don't know, just the maybe metaphysics. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I was in ancient Egypt, maybe then Greece and, who knows? But uh, I definitely have an affinity for all ancient civilizations and knowledge and stuff like that. But I want to, I want to ask you: Do you have? Do you ever get a feeling like if you had a past life, or you, what's your like go to, or like what's your favorite ancient civilization, or you feel like a kinship to? Mm, oh man. Well, um, I mean, ultimately what I have a kinship towards, um, I did have at one point during an experience that I'll go into next, um, a glimpse of something that if I was presented as a, as a past life, uh, but I, I take that with a grain of salt. Um, but you know, I, I have, uh, my, uh, a lot of like inspiration, you know, something that's close to my heart. Um, mostly a lot of, uh, Buddhism and Taoism, um, they're, they're both so similar and play off each other, and, and a lot of Hermeticism. Um, if uh, if I did, if I have existed in any other time periods, I'm sure I was um, one or all three of those things. But um, I did have uh, this one experience once where um, it's the easiest way to put it. I had. Um, um, a vision, I guess you could say. Uh, it was while I was. It's something actually I do talk about in the book a little bit. It's just a small aside, and uh, it was something while I was doing some very serious, uh, like climactic work, um, psychologically speaking, with the uh, the Great Mother archetype, doing some meditations and um, and some some ceremony and ritual. And um, she showed me something where, at the very least, I considered this. Um, an important you know psychological like it, it was an important psychological allegory like at the very least this is important to my perspective uh the same way a dream is and then at a, on a literal perspective who knows maybe it was a past life a, a glimpse of a past life of some kind but um um it was me as a um a low-level freemason uh, coming over and helping just being one low level person helping colonize the uh, the new world in the Americas and learning um, uh, slowly eventually learning uh, g- getting close to some of the natives and learning some Native American shamanism and stuff so mm. who knows man who knows that's interesting interesting yeah I mean I think about things like that too was it was it so crazy back then where it was just full-on hatred or were there some crossover where maybe some of the people that came over did get into some of the metaphysics and um, shamanism and all that kind of stuff. I, I think I've thought about that before. Yeah. I, I think well, at least smarter the ones at least. 
Yeah, yeah, the smart ones. I think at least in the beginning there was um, there was more of a an effort on both sides. You know, like okay, well we're both stuck here. These people aren't going anywhere, and neither uh, neither are we. So let's uh, try and get to know each other a little bit. And then it, the the whole roommate thing just went haywire. Yeah, disastrous yeah. to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, obviously, uh, I think that the best thing you can do is kind of learn from one another too. And I think that when that kind of breaks down, I think the whole thing falls apart. So you got to have the reverence, you know, for other people and ideas and, you know, you're headed on to some sort of new territory, maybe learn something from the people that have lived there forever. I don't know. That would be my prevailing wisdom. That's what I would be doing. Yeah. Um, but what uh, about, what about you, Maurice? Well, um, he says uh, Egypt, maybe Greece. What about you? The only thing I have that kind of feeling towards is like World War Two. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus, I, he goes I'm straight a, to a war. <laughs> I, well, I don't. I I might have passed away in this thing. That's why I'm so interested. You look like it, somebody no, that was in Saving Private Ryan or something. <laughs> ah, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Were you the, cast but, uh, in that? <laughs> I might, I might have been. I might be Matt Damon's younger brother, but uh, no, I, Pat uh, Damon. I, I don't, I don't claim to meditate as much as Michael has. I'm trying to get into it more and more, and maybe I'll uh, get a glimpse into a past life. But uh, as far as like gravitating towards a particular, me and Michael, our grandfather had enough, uh, had a real love for uh, ancient Egypt, and our uncle is into it too. So maybe our family has some kind of connection to that. Um, and I've had I've had I've had uh, quite the interest for it myself, but again I uh, I haven't had any visions or anything like you guys. Yeah, our grandfather had like mirror reliefs carved that were like special coded messages and stuff like that using hieroglyphs, and so yeah. And part of the meditation I use is from his notes, and there's all sorts of sketches having to do with like ancient Egypt and. Um, and he was supposedly Irish, but he was pretty, he looked like he could have been from Egypt, actually. He he had, like, a darker complexion, and, yeah, he just had an affinity for the culture and the people and the ideas. Yeah, um, talking about grandpas and metaphysics, um, my, uh, my great-grandpa was a 32nd-degree Freemason of the Scottish Rite. Mm-hmm. I have uh, his old faded leather belt buckle. Um, I, uh, mm-hmm. I never... You know, he was pretty old, so by the time I even learned he was a Freemason, he was so senile I couldn't have any conversations with him. But um, that definitely helped uh, pique my interest into uh, metaphysics and comparative religion a bit more because at that point um, I was um, under the impression, not totally convinced, but certainly aware at least of all the talk of, uh, Freemasonry and new world order and these things. So I was like, okay, grandpa's a Mason. I got to look into this. <laughs> <a little> more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, while we're on that topic, you know, just for the record, for any listeners, um, um, Masonry definitely has the whole political good old boys club and there's a, uh, plenty of nefarious things going on, but, um, Masonry in and of itself, you know, each lodge is has similar basic tenets um, like Christianity uh, has with its churches, but each church is run in its own specific way. And there's a lot of leadway and individualism found within each lodge. So there are there's definitely good old boy, weird 
backdoor politics going on in the the tippy top upper echelons in masonry that that have certain people belonging to them but the the, the majority of your average freemasons um to this day and throughout history were basically just philosophers and and guys that wanted to sit around and and drink beer and talk about metaphysics yeah good, but the, good point and I like that sure. on a certain level too like don't most of the, I mean, I've been approached actually to come to like a meeting and I guess potentially be one from somebody I used to work with because they knew the kind of stuff I was into and stuff I talk about. But, um, but at the end of the day, it's like, aren't most of them just people like just meeting to drink and like network and stuff like that? I mean, that's the kind of the vibe I got. Like the, the person I was approached by isn't some sort of like esoteric wizard, you know, or, you know, reading all these ancient texts or alchemical Hmm. texts or anything like that. So, I mean, I guess it's a mixture, like you're saying, like each one, I do know people that have been associated with that aspect of it though, too. So I don't think everybody that gets involved is like looking into all these topics that we're talking about now. Yeah, you're definitely correct about that. Um, But uh, to this day, you know, and that's why, again, it's important to, to remember as an outsider that, each lodge can be pretty different because uh, not just like you know, personality-wise and how they run things, but their whole perspective. Some people, uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, Masonic lodges that are just like pretty much specifically geared towards being a good old boys club that does charity work or some sort of activism. But there's there are other branches that still to this day are very steeped in metaphysics and the and the traditions of it and. Um, and, and talking about these kinds of things, um, you know, very uh, Manly P. Hall uh, sort of vein. Yeah. Of, uh, but yeah, so. Yeah, so, yeah I'm yeah, sure it's, uh, as far as time's gone on, you know, that stuff gets pushed down and down. I mean, in today's society, the metaphysics is like no one talks about that anymore. So I'm sure that's pure permeated into that as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do think that we are seeing a slow but steady uh, increase in people um, you know, and I think inevitably technology and the internet has to do with some of it where, uh, people's co- uh, collectively people's ideas are more out in the open than ever before. And despite oh. the fact that most of it is cluttered with reality TV shows and Twitter fights and everything else, people are slowly, um, uh, st- starting to get tired of all that, you know, not everybody, but slowly bit by bit, more and more people are getting tired and starting to, to look into the deeper things like, like what we mentioned before at the beginning of this conversation, how, um, how the internet has been such a useful resource for something like comparative religion. Mm. Uh, you know, just one, I, uh, one concept among many, many. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I do think that things are, are slowly coming around and I think that it's important. I do too. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, this is, we're kind of going through um, a collective alchemical transmutation a little bit right now. You know, co- uh, society and culture goes through its own cycles, um, similar to like seasons in nature. And I think that everyone is, um, you know, especially with the projection process, the, the house of mirrors of the Internet, everyone's inevitably cleaning out their closets more and more and seeing the skeletons and getting pissed like who put that there and mm-hmm. uh, and everyone's airing their dirty laundry and it's ugly right now but 
you know, after after you, you pull the skeletons out and, and the dirty laundry, then eventually there's not going to be anything left. It's, the closet's not a bottomless pit, so. Well, yeah, it used know, to be no religion, no politics, and it literally went from that to the internet created to people, it being fresh and being treated correctly initially just as information, and then now, you know, a couple people start a trend where you start, you know, leaking this other stuff into it, and then it you we get where we are now where it's literally almost the most divisive tool ever created in the history of our consciousness that we're aware of. So yeah, the, 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 the whole Renaissance in um, technological Renaissance that we have inevitably had is something that seems like it's going to make or break us in the long run or this is a growing period too i mean that could be it we're just getting used to it we went through the phase where it was so brand new it was used properly because nobody knew what to do with it you know let's share stuff and then it got to the point where let's share what we're thinking and once you started to share what you were thinking people started to see how other people were thinking and that's not how they thought (laughs) they didn't like it (laughs) yeah (laughs) so so, and that's and that's pretty much where we are now so again i mean i think that it's this could be a growing period for sure where we'll grow out of it and i think that the climate right now is just with everything going on it's just almost impossible so um i don't know I, i hope that we can find our way and use it properly and understand that it's this powerful thing and we need to treat it as such yeah, the, the you know people don't have um, they don't have personal parameters and they, you know like there's no code of ethics with the internet and in the same way that we've been talking about psychedelics, I think people should really approach the internet mm. uh, and technology in general because I mean it's the whole Promethean allegory you know uh, giving fire to man so that he can either um, cook food and uh, and adapt in so many ways from the fire or he can burn himself or the, the, the Joe Rogan analogy of the hammer and building the house or hitting the crotch, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. What we were talking about earlier with the truck or you're, and you're right. It is like psychedelics and it should be treated with reverence and you could do it any other way, but the results probably aren't going to be as good. So, and Mm -hmm. we live in people, you know, the Dunning Kruger effect is real and people always think they can do better than the person next to them. Even if that person spent their whole life, looking mm-hmm. into something or studying something. So, right. I mean, it just, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. And, um, you know, as someone who's, uh, who's, um, written a fair amount of politics in my day, it was all nonpartisan. And if anything, it leaned anarchist, but, uh, so I've never been one to have interest in any particular party, but, uh, you know, I just, it uh, having an interest in both politics and philosophy and metaphysics, it, it 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 for me really opened my eyes so blatantly to my own projection processes in how I felt about the world around me. You know, not that not that my views of the world were entirely wrong or unnecessary, but that they were skewed in my own individual ways because of the the chips on my shoulders that I had essentially. Um, yeah, I mean, so. meditation and mindfulness can be super beneficial. I remember the first time when I was meditating and then I kind of got out of myself and I put myself in like my wife's perspective for a second. I'm like, holy shit, you know, like hmm. it's almost like doing psychedelics where you're like, 
you're you're able to see yourself outside of yourself and when you realize what's going on it's like oh okay well this isn't going to work so i need to work on this and fix this and treat people like this it's just weird when you it's almost like a paradigm shift the first time it happens where you can say you think about how other people think and feel and try and understand them and communicate with them but it's really a whole nother level when you really try and put yourself in their shoes or try and get into that consciousness, you know, it's just a, it's a whole different ball game. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, the, the mystical experience in and of itself is something that people don't have to take other people's word for, you know, you can try it yourself. And that's why people like Jung are so fascinating because at the, you know, now that we're, um, you know, now that he's long gone, we uh, we have uh, an interesting perspective on like how he lived his life. And, you know, we have the black books coming out soon, which are like more or less the unedited version of the the red books, which have been published for a little while now, mm-hmm. which are you, uh, Jung's. The red books are essentially a revised edition of Jung's diaries that developed his own personal journeys. and. Um, you know the, his uh, his hero's journey. You know through dreams and uh, and meditations and even some things like automatic writing and uh, and things of that nature, where he uh, was really strict and scholarly and chose his words very carefully on a, on the public level. But uh, towards towards the end of his life, when he realized you know he was he didn't have anything. There's no reason to keep. Fuck it, I'm dying. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> He, uh, he opened up a lot more, and we find a guy that really, in essence, um, whether or not he really saw it like this, it's this whole chaos theory motif to spiritualism. Um, you know, because uh, Freud uh, was initially calling um, his whole you know study of psychology psychodynamics, um, and that was a direct... Uh, tip of the hat to thermodynamics so there there's there's a few different correlations here but this whole idea of finding underlying patterns in something that is by definition from our current vantage point chaos Mm -hmm. there are no patterns but the the tenet of chaos theory the theory of chaos theory is that you can you can all you have to do is look, and if you if you study something for long enough, you will be able to find some sort of recurring themes and patterns and motifs. And that's what Jung did with his his uh, his hero's journey, spiritual process. You know, people can look at belief systems and the multiplicity of belief systems, and and again go back to nihilism. Uh, and I've had people ask me before, like, okay, well, if there's a multiplicity of belief systems and you have this sort of like meta perspective that they can all be right for certain people in at certain points in their life etc and like what's the point of choosing it you know if the spell is broken so to speak then like why you know how am i going to get any benefit Mm -hmm. out of investigating a certain discipline and maybe incorporating it into my life um and i think jung really addresses that better than perhaps anyone else i've come across because he really, and this kind of inspired the whole dive manual metaphor, you know, because Jung saw it really as a journey. It was like, you know, it was going to throw the ring 
um, and, and, uh, destroy the ring. Like it was, it was something that was harrowing and something that, uh, had a, a many unknown factors and something that was, um, some, you know, you had to see, you had to experience yourself to believe it. Um, when we start to investigate our own individual experiences more and more, we find things that were there all along that we just didn't have the capacity to or take the time to notice. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, just think about how big our brain, like how big our our psychological existence is. There's all sorts of nooks and crevices, you know, hidden memories and concepts. Like this happens with everybody where you, you'll have, uh, someone will recall your memory. I remember that one time and then you remember that one time very vividly. But if they had not brought that to your attention, you probably would have never remembered that for the rest of your life. Right. It was still in there that whole time, you know, so you have to go looking and uncover these things. And and the same goes for these deep intrinsic existential needs and, um, and, uh, drives and pressures that we have. Um, that's why I don't necessarily, be- I mean, do you believe that, sorry to cut you off, but do you believe oh. that memory is, um, completely stored in your physical brain? Like, or, do you believe in some sort of like cloud system where you're able to like download and retrieve somehow via consciousness, something like that? Mm, because it's, it, cause it, you're talking about like thousands of seconds and minutes and, you know, or millions, you know, and then throughout your lifetime, does that mean that all of that's stored in your brain? And if that's the case, if it's stored in your brain and you had the right image or thing, then, then how come it, can't come out that way how come everybody has a different version of like the same story you, do you get what i'm saying i believe so um i don't think it's it's uh, entirely within the brain uh because we have this um psychological highway of of uh memetics that helps us exchange memetics and sharing a meme is basically in in some sense uh sharing your your standpoint or relationship to an archetype or uh, a series of archetypes um so there is definitely a cultural exchange you know like in some sense i'm certainly not the only one to say this um you know each individual person is like a neuron and we're all communicating through the the synapses of our mm-hmm. of our um well communication so um i think that I don't know. Uh, you know, the projection process is... Um, well, there's is, that physical meme, too, where it shows uh, our universe, and then it shows, like, neurons, and they look pretty similar. They really do, Like yeah. the chain, like like a, the zoomed-out uh, picture of our universe, and they look like little neurons connected through this neural network. And actually, I just read a paper on Quanta uh, this week that there's some theorists out there that thinks that we're all part of some sort of neural network. I'm not saying like giant's marble necessarily, but somehow maybe the way our brain structured is similar to the way the universe is structured. I do think that there's a lot of relevance to that idea. Jury's not out on how, how far you can extrapolate that mindset, but there's definitely some truth to that. Um, and I mean, that that's something that is found is like a core tenant essentially of, um, the metaphysics and philosophy related to the trees of life and death. Um, so, mm. 
yeah um and those are those are pretty interesting things right there uh but um that's uh that's a whole rabbit hole right there yeah, I was gonna say we can wrap it up here. Then we can, you know, we can have you on back in the future. I, I was, you'd be yeah, a good I'd person like to have a, a free will determinism uh, conversation with at some point. For sure, yeah, would be happy to do it. Yeah, let me know, guys. I'm, um, I'd be happy to come back on anytime. It's a pleasure sure. as always. Yeah, thank yeah. you to come back, man. It's a good, good talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. Uh, you know, we're on similar wavelengths. I like the way you, you know, you think about these things and you're able to convey them. And, uh, some people aren't, you know, some people can just write a book and they're not able to verbalize. I thought you did a good job writing your book and you do, um, a good job verbalizing it too. So I think that, uh, absolutely we will have you back on in the, uh, the future. And, um, I don't know. I, I think that uh, people should definitely check out your book. I have the link down below the video. If you're listening on audio, it's the link should be down there as well. And uh, just pick it up. I mean, wh- how much is it? It's it's a relatively cheap price too, right? Yeah, you get 10 bucks paperback or like $3 digital copy. Um, and yeah, you know, and I, I also have other interviews out there, um, you know, with... Um, uh, you mentioned Martin over at the Alchemical yeah, yeah, Martin. I th- were you on with uh, Alex at the um, um, the Natural Born Alchemist? Podcast? Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, great show, great guy. Uh, I was all, I was on with Soraya as well over at Where Did the Road Go? Soraya is awesome. Yeah, Aeon Bite. Um, so all great people, great shows. Um, but uh, you can uh, you can also check out the website that I got. It's small. It's just basically where you could go to find the other interviews and uh, and some tidbits um, that I've written. Uh, nothing like extensive though. Uh, DiveMind.net and uh, what else? I feel like I'm forgetting something. Uh, if you want, if you're a Twitter person, you go to um, uh, DiveMind six six seven all underscore one word. Um, Beautiful. Man. Oh man, I. I feel like I'm forgetting something, but that's okay. That's well, okay. if you if you remember, we'll put the links down below, and we'll uh, send people that way. Cool. Yeah, cool. you're mainly on Twitter, though. You don't have like an Instagram or anything. You're not on any other ones. No, uh, Twitter and Facebook. You can find me on Facebook too, Anthony Tyler. Um, okay. I got Dive Manual listed. You know, my face is on there, so I'm pretty easy to find. Um, cool. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Check out his book again. The link is down below. Thank oh, yeah. you. Okay, go I remember ahead. what I was going to say real quick. Um, not to shamelessly sell. No, no, you're good. No, plug away, my friend. I um, I was really um, flattered, honestly, when uh, I the last show I was on was with uh, Joe Roop on Lighting the Void, and he was kind enough to say that he really felt like the book was a, a little bit of a mix between Carl Jung and uh, Hunter S. Thompson. So hopefully that might entice some people into checking it out. Oh, so nice. really cool. yeah, yeah I, I got that vibe uh that that's that, that's a good analogy um Appreciate it. yeah i think though um you've done yourself a service by sticking to what can be explained through personal experience or um you know everyday experience for the most part with your book and i think that you did a good job of something we talk a lot about on the show that there's a real fringe of weird things that happen and are available. And you did a great job of highlighting those things without taking it to the point where you're, you're leading people to have faith in certain things. So I thought that that was uh, what I liked most about your book. But uh, yeah, I thought that Joe's analogy, that that's a great analogy. So 
Um, so yeah, check out his book and, uh, you can check out, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash mind escape podcast. Again, we just got the t-shirts in, um, for $30. You can get one. I don't know how many we're going to have left. There's already some spoken for, and uh, we're, we might do a, uh, a cheaper run too. The shirts that we have now are our logo on a black shirt, but we might try and do some sort of cheaper option at some point here so we can get a lot of them made. Um, so check that out. And we also, for $2 a month, you'll get exclusive episodes and content. We did one with uh, Anthony last time, so check that out on our Patreon. That was a fun extension of that conversation. And uh, head on over to indrasweb.org and sign up to get an alert when the app goes live. If you don't know what Indra's Web is, it's an app that we created, uh, me and a buddy of mine. And the goal is to connect open minds through rational discourse uh, and through these topics, whether it be metaphysics or ancient civilizations, UFOs paranormal stuff, whatever it may be, you know, we're going to try and create a platform where, you know, intelligent, fun conversations can be had surrounding those topics. So head on over there, sign up and you will get an alert when it goes live and check out mindescapepodcast.com. We have all of our stuff on there, but, uh, again, thank you so much for coming on, Anthony. We'll have you again. We'll, we'll do like a, uh, determinism slash free will episode at some point. Cause I think you're a fun person to have that conversation with. So awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to it guys. Thanks again for having me. Thank you everybody for listening. I do really appreciate it. Cheers, my man. Peace. Cheers. Yeah.